0: welcome in everybody welcome in welcome and it is outkick the culture podcast here i'm jason martin your host on twitter at jmart outkick you can email me at jmart at gmail.com send your correspondence love and hate mail in my direction there hope everyone had a wonderful thanksgiving holiday took last week off thought i might take this week off but yet here i am some things to talk about happening in the news some things happening on television that i think you should be made aware of also, a lot of really good music out there that I wanted to call your attention to. But the only thing that I wrote about this week at Outkick, and I wrote three separate pieces on four separate episodes, is Mr. Robot on USA. First season was, although, you know, it had a couple of downs. In general, very, very good. Rami Malik, of course, won the Emmy for Best Actor, as he should have for that performance as Elliot Alderson. Then we moved into the second season, which I personally just—it was just too uneven. Even though they brought in Grace Gummer and the Dom Di Pietro character was very, very good, it just kind of at the end of the season it, it felt very underwhelming. It did not make my top ten. I'm not even sure actually. I'd have to go back and look whether it made my honorable mention as well. And as we get close to the tail end of 2017. I am getting migraines just thinking about trying to put together a top 10 list for this year, which I will do at OutKick by the end of this year. It is so daunting when there's so much good television out there and so many things you don't want to leave out. So I'll do the top 10 and probably do another at least five, maybe 10 honorable mention shows as well. But I can tell you Mr. Robot's going to be in that top 10 because season three has been unbelievable. If you watched season one and enjoyed it, found season two to be a slog and then for some reason decided that would be it for you and that show which that reason is certainly valid because there's so much out there to watch if it doesn't really keep your attention it's time to move on i'm about i don't know six episodes behind on modern family i think i'm done i think that show and i have finally i probably should have been done before i was sort of invested to see whether or not they were gonna do that one last relationship with Haley and Adam, and then once that ended, it was just like, okay, that's kind of all I needed from this show. And there are other shows that have fallen by that same wayside. But Mr. Robot, I came back for. I wanted to see what Sam Esmail had in his third year. He had always said, you know, he believed this would be a four season show. That's kind of what he had it in mind. I feel like that's probably still what's going to happen. But season three, although the ratings have not been huge, because I do think a lot of people bailed when season two got very convoluted and had an underwhelming ending season three has been tremendous there was one you could maybe call it a misstep but even that's splitting hairs and that was the third episode of the year where they focused completely on Tyrell Wellick Martin Wallstrom's character and what had happened to him in the past it was sort of a flashback side story to show where he had been and why he had disappeared And in what manner he had vanished from this universe and from this show since, you know, one point in time to another and why there was estrangement from his wife and and all of these things. And it was good. It was well done, but it felt unnecessary. It felt the same way as Rogue One did, which I've said before and wrote in my review of that episode, actually. Rogue One was good. Rogue One was not necessary. It was a side story to bridge two stories together to tell us what happened to this one ragtag group, this one very heroic group of people that set the stage for something. But it felt more like, all right, if you're a fanatical completionist, maybe you need to watch this. But other than that, if you had never watched Rogue One, it would not affect your enjoyment, really, of the Star Wars series, and it really wouldn't make you any smarter than anyone else. Because no one is going to be talking about the events of Rogue One going forward despite the fact again it was well acted it was well done special effects were good it was fun but i couldn't give it that higher review because it felt so inessential to the canon of star wars but some people want as much of it as they can get so they'll take the side stories me i just kind of needed the meat and bones i still enjoyed it i'm glad i saw it but i've never felt the need to watch it again and that'll be the first situation of a star wars film where that's been true for me at least not a total waste of time, but kind of a waste of time, right? It was just an entertainment. But, I mean, all movies, in some way, you can say are a waste of time. There's just entertainment. Was it worth the two hours you spent watching Rogue One? Sure. Sure. But it's not going to affect my life. And that's kind of how I felt about the Tyrell Wellick thing, although there was a little bit more there because we did kind of want to know why he had vanished. In a show that's so confusing, they actually gave us more exposition than I ever expected. But since that point, in particular, it started out strong. The season started out strong. But since that point, in the four episodes that have followed, this has been about as good a run as I've seen on TV in 2017. The only things I might compare to it, The Leftovers, which nothing's touching, The Leftovers' third season, this season, that's that or this year, that's the best show on TV. All apologies to the Handmaid's Tale and... You know, some people would say big little lies. I would not, and, and several others, but that's the best show on TV, and it's over and it's sad. But with the exception of that, and there have been some other really good things, this four episode stretch of Mr. Robot has been as entertaining, as, as energetic, as tense, and as just precisely executed as you could possibly imagine. The acting's always been stellar on this show, so there's really no reason for me to talk about how great Rami Malik and Portia Doubleday and Michael Christopher and B.D. Wong and Grace Gummer and all the rest are. I kind of just did, but I did it in like 15 seconds instead of 15 minutes. You can go to other podcasts if you need to hear long-winded explanations of why one person's a great actor. We know that these, we know that these people can act. If you've watched Mr. Robot, you understand this. And I forgot to mention Christian Slater, and he certainly deserves it, as does Martin Ballstrom. But it's been the story, and it's been the way that even as ridiculously confusing as this show is, I have come to a place, and this is my favorite place to be in television as a consumer of the product. I've written about it in other series. A lot of the shows that I like have this very same quality about them. It is that I shut my brain off and try to just stop predicting what is to come? because I know I'm going to be wrong. There have been some very obvious things that they've done with this show, the Fight Club deal, Mr. Robot not being real, all of those things. But they've thrown you for a loop a couple of times this year, and they've just taken their story. Sam Esmail's taken his story in different directions than maybe we expected. Characters with different motivations, sideline characters coming up and having their time in the spotlight as well. It's just it's to a point where you just sit back and watch the show and let Sam Smail and this phenomenal team tell their story. And you just watch the story. It's tough to do that. It's a big accomplishment for a show, a book, a movie, anything. To have your attention in such a way that you're captured by their vision, as opposed to continually trying to figure out what's going to happen. Now you may think about it after the fact, but I don't belabor it much. I don't sit around and think, "Well, what's going to happen next?" Because I am perfectly content for them to just tell me the story. That's rare, and I think it takes a lot of skill to make an audience feel that way. And I, I you know, I know I know a lot of you watch the show, and I don't know whether or not you agree with me on that. But you can sit around and speculate about it, but I'm fine just letting them tell me. It's kind of, you know, I'm trying to teach myself this. As somebody who talks for a living and has to fight the urge to try and be somebody on social media, for example, fight the urge to tweet every thought I have just so everyone can see every thought I have. Because at some level, we all have to be checked if we want to try and find some semblance of the absence of self that allows for something greater to be a part of your life. I always, in conversations, will forget what the person talking to me is saying because I'm already planning my response, because I want to knock them dead with what comes out of my mouth next. So many interactions in my life could replicate the way I felt about so many series where I'm just like, well, this is going to happen. They're going to do this, and this is what I would do, and all this different things like that. That's why when you're able to really shut your brain down because someone is telling you a story that's so captivating and intriguing that you trying to figure out where they're going is folly. That's so awesome, and that's what Mr. Robot has come to. At first, you know, in season two... It was just a bunch of tricks. It was a bunch of manipulations. This year, it's been a whole lot smarter. And I I hesitate, because I think a lot of you may have jumped off of this show, to go into the details of these stories, because I want you to watch it. But I'm going to do a little bit of it, but I'm going to try to do it sort of cautiously for those of you that have not seen it. Episode 5, which was four weeks ago now, maybe three weeks ago, I don't know. I don't do math. Four weeks ago, somewhere in there. This is how I started my review on outkick.com. What an awesome 42 minutes this was. Comma. And then I go on. That's a brilliant line by me. It's really not. It's just an obvious line. And one that if you watch the episode would be impossible to deny. This episode was, from a technical standpoint, about as mind-blowing as anything you're likely to see on a small screen. It looked as if it was one continuous shot. And the comparisons that have always been made between Mr. Robot and Fight Club and the way that Sam Esmail kind of believes in his shooting style, his structure, and what he wants from a visual standpoint is reflective some of David Fincher. David Fincher, who's known for long tracking shots. Remember Fight Club and the skyscraper and the long going down the skyscrapers. Ed Norton is narrating us through it, this looked like a 42-minute shot with no edits. It wasn't. USA Network revealed there were 31 hidden edits and cuts during the course of the episode, which honestly, to me, might even be harder than trying to do it all at one time. If you set it up right, you could do it all. But if you're actually breaking 31 times... That means that you can't be a millimeter off when you go back to start that next shot. Because if you are, then the camera is going to shift just enough to where it looks like the puzzle piece is out of alignment for a half second. And that would have been detectable. So it all had to be perfect. And when they went in to start season three, they shot scenes from episode five first before they did anything else. That was where they went. And the episode, which almost entirely took place inside of e E-Corp, inside ECorp's main building, and then just directly outside of it for a small point, was as just dramatically tense as I've seen in a while. This was like one of the high points of 24 back during the real heyday of that series. That is how your heart pumps watching this thing. Starting with Elliot realizing that he's about to be, that he's been fired and that security is going to throw him out, but he still needs to do what needs to be done to stop the explosion at the downtown recovery building for E-Corp. So he's trying to hide out in and out of these conference rooms, trying to get onto someone else's computer. Meanwhile, the camera's just following him. We're basically walking with Elliot because that's the effect that this camera trick does. Making this one continuous shot is like we're in the room with Elliot. We're walking down the hallway with Elliot. We're getting into the elevators with Elliot, which are in real time, by the way. He gets into elevators, as does Angela Moss, later on in the episode, and we sit there with them in the elevator. Because there's nothing else that you can do if you're going to keep this alive as one shot. You can't take us outside the elevator or somewhere else. You have to stick with the elevator from where it starts to where it ends. So as close to real time as you'd get. I mean, they were going up a lot of floors at some points. But it was just special. Incredible. And the level of difficulty was remarkable. But you get the first half of the episode with Elliot on his race, and then you've got Angela trying to do her duty for the Dark Army in the back half of the episode. And as good as Rami Malek was, and as entertaining as that first half was, the second half, because much of it took place after the F Society riot broke into the building it was like you're playing a video game on one of the hardest difficulties late in that game where you're in one of the deep stages when it's gotten very hard on its own and there's more enemies and it's taken them a lot of time to go down and half the time you believe you're about to die and somehow you keep escaping it because of you know non-playable characters coming through and doing things that are basically half cut scenes while you can still walk through them it was amazing it was so well done And it was almost like a departure. It showed us what happened on the day of the attack. It showed us Angela's vision. It showed us what Elliot was trying to do, despite the fact that Mr. Robot had corrupted him and taken over him again before the episode ended. There was so much happening here. And then the following week, it just kept going. And then at the end of that episode, we got... You could call it a twist, but it was more like a, a vindication and a validation of my choice not to try and predict this show anymore. Because when you got to the end, I don't know that anyone saw the 71 buildings coming. And I'll leave it there for those who haven't seen it yet. No one saw that coming, including the protagonist on the show. And his reaction was similar to mine. It was jaw-dropping. It was, holy cow, this is so good right now. And why did we not think that this is exactly what was going to happen? All of a sudden, a show that relied on magic and illogical moves and things that were very inconsistent a year before made all the sense in the world in a universe where it seems like anything could be possible at any given time. Then the following week. We focused on Trenton and Mobley, two side characters, and we saw what led to the end of their life. And we, you know, I I in my review, I compared it to Arlington Road, where Tim Robbins and Joanne Cusack, or Joan Cusack, I don't know why I called her Joanne, neighbors of Jeff Bridges and his family. Jeff Bridges, an anti terrorism expert, guy that teaches about militias and extremist groups and all of those things college he gets suspicious of tim robbins starts to try and make amends fix things to stop what he believes that this terrorist next to him is doing and eventually when the bomb goes off at arlington road or in arlington road in the film he's the one blamed for it. jeff bridges is because he dies in the explosion and it was all set up from the beginning And that's what you get. You get a setup of Trenton and Mobley to explain what had happened at the end of the episode previous. And as sickening as that was and as hard to watch as that was, it was utterly believable. And sad. And it took these two characters that have had a few moments in the sun but certainly are not main characters. When the title screen comes up, you know you know who the main guys are and you know who the main performers are and neither one of them was. But it made their lives matter. And... The reaction to it, which came two days ago in the newest episode, which there's two left in the season, but this past week, we basically took Elliot out of the Mr. Robot context. Finally. And we let Elliot behave like a human being for almost an entire episode once he was pulled completely out of his shell by Trenton's younger brother just a kid. And it evolved back to the future and listening to different theories about what Back to the Future 2 in particular meant going into the future to change the past and leading to an alternate present or everything that you do affects your future and all of these things. But Elliot, who had just bought a bunch of morphine and was about to slip back into his really bad old habits, it seemed like, by the end of the episode, was smiling, and he was listening to this kid, and he was empathizing with this kid and sympathizing in a way that we rarely see from Elliot Alderson. He has a hard time emoting to his own sister, Darlene, and she could technically use it at almost every case. Like Every, every time you see those two together, she is struggling, and she needs him, and he's not there for her. Early in the episode, he showed a little bit more when he said, hey, come over tomorrow, let's smoke up, let's watch this horror movie, despite the fact it's not Halloween. And she's like, it's not even Halloween. That doesn't make sense. He's like, well, when did we start following rules? And she said she'd like that and kind of leaned her head on his shoulder. Brother and sister, acting like brother and sister, not acting like robots. No pun, maybe pun intended. But after talking to this child and spending time with him and keeping him safe with his parents gone, Elliot kind of found himself Ended up not taking the morphine. Ended up using that to make sure that Mobley got a deserving funeral. And during the entire hour, he's walking around. He goes to Mobley's brother. And, of course, he goes to Trenton's family to tell them they're innocent. They're not who you believe them to be. They were good people. I knew them. And no one wants to hear it because they can't defend themselves. And the media and everyone else has already portrayed them to be the people behind this attack, that they were working with Iran and all these other things. We know the truth. So when we see Elliot doing this, we see him doing some level of redemption, trying to find forgiveness, looking for absolution. This is a guy that is crippled with guilt because he knows that all of what's happened, or he believes that all of what's happened has happened because of him and he's not entirely wrong but as you see there's a couple of different themes that come out in this particular episode that i want to touch on because i think that you can apply them across television and look at them in a different way and i wrote about this at one point the kid asks elliot who do you pray for after he's talked about his mosque and all of those and elliot says elliot just kind of gets quiet Actually, the kid asks, where do you pray? And he says, I don't. And I immediately thought to myself, I know that. You didn't have to tell me that, but I knew it. Because Elliot Alderson is a perfect example of millennial culture unrestrained, where there hasn't been the authority figure in such a long time. Too many millennials believe themselves to be the center of the universe. Not just their own universe, but the universe. It's often a rude awakening when they find out how insignificant they actually are in the grand scheme. That in general, it's the people around us that help make us who we are. It's the choices that we make, yes. And we can affect our own lives. And we can affect the lives of others. But until we start to realize that we don't make the decisions ultimately and once we start to understand that we don't have to and that the consequences the ramifications of the choices that we make sometimes mean nothing and sometimes they're far reaching people are so concerned with thinking they can fix their own problems elliot believed he was the only one that could fix this hack he was the one that he was behind this whole deal this was all about his plan mr robot's plan he's mad at mr robot mr robot goes to irving in this episode and he's just like this is not what i wanted this is not what was supposed to happen and he's outside and he's like this was not the plan outside of that building where you see the penthouse party with the rich people that are dancing and drinking and being merry, even after this horrible terrorist attack. And Irving says, you know, that's your problem. You thought this was all about your dumb little plan. That's a really good lesson, that there's always somebody greater. There's always somebody with more power. There's always somebody with more money. There's always somebody with better clothes. There's always somebody with a bigger brain. There's always somebody with a better idea. Doesn't mean that we should shut down and believe, well, we shouldn't read anymore because there's going to be somebody smarter. Or we shouldn't try and invent things because somebody's going to come around and make something better. The first thing leads to the second thing, in many cases. But oftentimes, millennials don't see the larger picture. And instead are so focused on themselves, they walk around with a mirror in front of their face, which while they're looking at themselves, blocks their view of the rest of the world. People in need, people in trouble, people on street corners, and just opportunities where they could affect lives or even just improve their own lives. They're so worried about their own thoughts. They're paying attention to their minds and they're not listening to their hearts. And why I liked this episode of Mr. Robot so much this week was because finally, whether he knew it or not, Elliot was finally starting to listen to his heart instead of his mind. He kept talking about how he had important things to do, but they got delayed by this child and it seemed almost divine. It was like something that needed to happen for Elliot. He was going to get back to what he had to do. But the episode titled entitled Don't Delete Me, which backs up the email that we see at the end from Trenton, which starts, I think I've found a way to reverse the hack. At the beginning of the hour, we have the narration from Elliot discussing what deletion really means and how you sit there and you decide this thing has no value. And you need that space for something else. But then he makes a very interesting point. And he says there's always that moment of hesitation before you delete something. And then comes the message box on a computer screen that says, are you sure? And in this case, for whatever reason, after throwing away the hard drives and throwing away Mr. Robot's jacket... They came back to him being dropped out of that van. The trash just dropped right back on the stoop. And he decides to put that hard drive in and he finds that letter or finds that email. And that's where the episode ends. And now there's two episodes left of the season. And it's going to be wild because this was a much more subdued episode because it was emotionally heavy. It was kind of a palate cleanser because there was hope sprinkled throughout what was happening. We saw real humanity in Elliot Alderson. We saw him feel guilt. We saw him look for forgiveness, although never looking up for it. He was still looking to his neighbors. He found it through a small child, in many ways an innocent child, one that had not seen the world he had seen. So things were much more simple for Elliot in this case because he couldn't go into details to try and rationalize everything about his life, positive and negative. He was talking to a child that saw things in a much more black and white manner than he did. Elliot lives his life in shades of gray. No vibrant colors. Unless he's on some drug. This kid sees nothing but colors and he sees black and white. Gray hasn't even occurred to him yet. Now, losing his sister the way he has everything that's happened to him over the last few days, that may change this child. But the child Elliot meets is the one he needed to meet because it's the one that simplified him, did not complicate him, brought him down to earth, finally took him to a different plane. Elliot still lives in this world, but for about 30 minutes there, didn't feel like he was of this world food for thought and it was a great episode and it's been a fantastic season season three has been so wildly entertaining and well done kudos to sam esmail and you know i was certainly down going into the year just because season two was pretty much a disappointment in the end that he's got my faith again now Two more episodes, and I'm expecting some real fireworks because we know where we're headed. Elliot gets the email, and now he's going to try and do what he needs to do to go after White Rose. And all the while with the Elliot stuff, over the last few weeks, White Rose and Philip Price and the story of um, Washington Township and the Congo annexation and who's in charge of E Corp and why and Ecoin and all of those things have been fantastic as well. Plus, we've seen Angela. At the end of the episode, one other thing I want to mention about this episode before we go is when Elliot goes to Angela's house and says, let me in. We need to talk. I'm worried about you. And Angela doesn't open the door. And of course, she's been more cold than anybody as she's kind of fallen into White Rose's spell, believing that he can fix all the ails. But she's also tinged with guilt of her own and hoping that she's right. She's taken a leap of faith. In favor of White Rose. And Elliot tells her stories about their childhood. Again, a more innocent time where they played a wishing game. They wished for various things, some that made sense, some that didn't. Then they would close their eyes as hard as they could. They believed if they closed them really hard, that would give them a better chance of those things coming true. Then they would open their eyes. And, you know, most of the time, those wishes would never come true. But Elliot then says, but then we realized as we smiled that it wasn't really, the fun part wasn't the getting, it was the wishing. And you see Angela start to cry and she finally responds. And in that moment, she's finally broken back to the innocent child she used to be. Beginning of the episode, we see Elliot detached at the movie theater with his father, He had already gone down a bad path. He was speaking to an imaginary friend when he walked into the movie theater a few minutes later after his father passed out. And last week we saw Angela watching the Back to the Future animated series and talking to her mother who was already very sickly and on the way to her death. Here, in this moment, with the two of them sitting on opposite sides of the same door, resting against it, we saw two human beings. We saw two really good friends, two people that probably would be romantically involved if either one of them was emotionally in a position where they could do it. And we saw them as people, not as robots, not as hackers, not as terrorists, not as malcontents, just as people longing for a simpler time. And although this lesson will never be mentioned, this message will never find its way onto this show. What's funny is that simpler life, that simpler time, the memories we always go back to in our heads and think about of you know, good times when we were kids, they're really not that far away because we don't have to be as complicated as we are. We can simplify. I'm not saying we all need to be hermits or be Thoreau, but we can simplify. We can put the phone down for five hours at a time. That's what I've tried to do this week. Is you know I'll look at my phone and then I'll try not to look at it for four more hours. I've failed a lot. I realize just how addicted to my phone I am, which is something I need to work on. But I've definitely tried to do that on social media. There are ways to unplug because the only thing you can't unplug yourself from in the end is love. You have to start by loving yourself and then you can love others as well. These are people that do not love themselves at all, despite the fact that they treat themselves like they're idols because their word and their mind and everything that's going through it is the only thing that matters at that point in time. But when life gets simplified, the emotions are the only thing that stay behind. Because the emotions aren't things that you can put into a drawer and close away. They're things you can nurture. Things you can learn from and grow with. But they're things you have to embrace. And in this episode, I saw an Elliot Alderson. And in the end, I saw an Elliot Alderson who then, after going through his own experience, was able to then transfer that real feeling that psychological, sensual pull to his good friend in a moment that she needed it. And I just thought that was a beautiful thing because we had gone through so much tension in the weeks previous in those great episodes that this week it wasn't just a palate cleanser. It was truly a sea change temporarily for Mr. Robot. And I thought it was brilliant. It wasn't my favorite episode of the season just because the entertainment value of others was certainly higher. This was a slower-paced episode. But it was really good. And the whole season's been really good. And sad at times, and dark, and funny at other times. But Esmail's done a great job. And he deserved almost a half hour of my time to talk about it today. So let's talk about a couple of other things. Matt Lauer. This story's no good. Variety have been looking into it. Elizabeth Wagmeister and another reporter have been looking in this, into this for a couple of months. New York Times was set to potentially release a story on this as well. Matt Lauer gets added to the name, not just to Hollywood, but how about just of media figures that have put themselves in trouble and have lost their jobs recently? Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer, Bill O'Reilly, Roger Ailes. And I don't think that list is over. And the Matt Lauer thing, you know, I I didn't know. I didn't know that this had been rumored. I don't live in the ivory towers in Manhattan. I live down here in Nashville. So when I saw the story, I was just like, wow, I'm floored. I think most people were. Most people did not know all the things that were going on. Then the stories start to come out. He has a button under his desk where he can close and lock his door from the inside without having to get up. Multiple complaints from women about sex toys and handing them and telling them to use them and exposing himself and all of these various things. Matt Lauer, who hosted the Olympics, who sat down, can you imagine the nerve? And even, I don't even know what goes through your mind when you're doing this. Matt Lauer interviewing Bill O'Reilly after his situation at Fox News. And kind of being condescending and accusatory towards O'Reilly like he was better. While Matt Lauer knew what he had done. I do not understand how one can even do that. The sheer hypocrisy alone would be enough to drive me insane while I was trying to compose and do that interview. Like, trying to conduct that interview with that feeling in my head where I'm like, you know, I have sexually harassed many women and made them very uncomfortable. But I've got to talk to this guy who is in the news for doing the same thing. I would be so worried that that was going to come out. I don't know what I would have done. I mean, Matt Lauer may have thought that he was so powerful it wasn't going to come out. But Bill O'Reilly was arguably the most powerful name in all of news. His ratings, he was number 1 for well over a decade He basically built Fox News in terms of an audience. They came around, then they started to notice other guys and pay attention to other anchors and other things that were going on and other shows. Matt Lauer had a ton of power. Charlie Rose, his show on PBS. Everybody who was anybody wanted to go on that show and be interviewed by Charlie Rose. Then he goes to CBS this morning. It's just amazing what power does to people. And this Matt Lauer thing, and then the political side of it as well, you've got Roy Moore on one side, and you've got Donald Trump, obviously, and you've got Al Franken and him refusing to leave and acting like it's no big deal, and folks, I don't know how to put this any clearer than just to say it like this. Dirtbags are dirtbags. I don't care who you voted for. Your actions are not determined by your ballots. That's just an opinion. I'm not saying what I just said is an opinion, although I guess it is. I'm saying your opinion on who you voted for doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good or a bad person. I'm not here to judge anybody. But I will tell you that if you are rushing to judgment against one political party and letting the other one have a pass, or if you're someone that has done these things and is still leading the charge to get other people ousted from their jobs... That's a problem. This whole sexual assault, sexual harassment in the workplace story is not anywhere near over either. Cosby, Louis C.K., Kevin Spacey, all sorts of people in Hollywood, a producer of The Flash, executive producer of The Flash, lost his job, Garrison Keeler. Prairie Home Companion out at Minnesota Public Radio Lauer of course, O'Reilly Ailes, the people we've already mentioned powerful powerful people who've been in their positions for a long time in most cases and are extremely well known Harvey Weinstein, how did I forget that they've all just come crashing down and it's not over I heard Gretchen Carlson say in an interview with Jake Tapper a couple of days ago on CNN, this is a reckoning. It's a cultural reckoning. There are a lot of people in positions of power right now who are frightened to death that they're next. And I continue to say, and said when we first talked about this story a few weeks ago, that you can pray for these people and pray for their souls, and pray that they've learned things from the mistakes that they've made. But these are errors that just aren't okay. Every sin is the same as every other sin in the eyes of God, but man, in the eyes of man, some of this stuff that has come out is going to be really hard for these people to wash off. I do think praying for them in specifics, is important. None of us are without sin. None of us are pure. None of us are clean. These are egregious errors, big mistakes, and there are victims left behind that need to be prayed for first. But we have to remember that these are also people that while they may reap what they sow, Just need some level of compassion quietly right now. I don't think it's wrong of me to say, if you're one that goes to your God in prayer, that you include some of the people that are going through this on the perpetrator side along with the victims. Because it's destroying lives on all sides, and each life is valuable. Gretchen Carlson also mentioned, you have to wonder how many women, and there are stories, many stories to back this up, women that have been you know, harassed or assaulted in these situations that end up leaving that profession. Who knows what we could have lost? How many journalists that left Fox that could have been just exceptional at their jobs that left Fox and then left media because of the experience or left television because of what happened at the Today Show or left film to maybe try something else after running into Harvey Weinstein and finding out what it was going to take to make it in Hollywood as an attractive woman. This stuff's bad. It really is. There's not really much more to say on it, honestly. I just think we need to keep all of it in perspective. I'm not saying it was a different time, these things are being blown out of proportion. I'm not saying that at all. Matter of fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying let's have a heart and let's think about all sides and let's hope that every single one of them finds some level of forgiveness on the perpetrator side and hopefully some form of relief on the victim side. It's ugly and I'm afraid we're about to see a lot more names come out. It's nowhere near over. And it's just sad. And you have to wonder how long it really has been going on in some of these scenarios. So from that, I just want to talk about how great Brooklyn Nine-Nine is for a minute. I've already told you about The Good Place. Michael sure does no wrong, folks. Parks and Rec, my second favorite comedy of all time goes on from that after of course working on the office first and leaving about midway through so we could do parks and rec he goes to fox and he starts brooklyn 99 and you hear about the concept and you're just like oh it's a uh kind of an office comedy about police okay i saw barney miller maybe you haven't i i kind of saw it when i was a child because my parents absolutely loved it we've seen funny cops before we've seen them in movies we watched Super Bad. Okay, this I guess the show might be all right. Who's in it? And you find out, you know, Chelsea Peretti and Andy Samberg and Terry Crews. Really, Terry Crews? Andre Brower. Love Andre Brower. Just all these folks. Joe Latruglio from the state and from uh, Wet Hot American Summer. All of these things. All of these people. I remember when I first heard about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I'm like, I ain't going to make it. That's a Fox comedy destined to fail right there. I remember watching the Comedy Central roast to James Franco where Bill Hader got up as kind of a Hollywood executive. He did it in character. changed, to Actually came out in a costume in like a red tracksuit and a wig. And he got to Andy Samberg, his very good friend in real life, and he said, funny cops, always pushing the envelope there, Andy. And talked about how basically formulaic and lame the show would be it was a roast joke he loves Andy and certainly has wanted that show to succeed and probably believed it would succeed but it played well and as I saw it because we hadn't seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine at the point or at that point I thought to myself yeah that's kind of how I feel funny cops all right let's let's see then the first review came out this is before the time I was able to get some screeners of my own and had an audience of, of people that enjoyed what I was able to provide in that genre And reviews came out, and it's just like, you know, this show's really good. This is one of the best new comedies of the season. I'm like, really? So I watched it. Immediately, I agreed. It was funny from the jump. It had a fantastic ensemble cast that I just laid out for you. It was light but smart. Had characters that you immediately kind of reacted to. Even Scully and Hitchcock. I mean, my gosh, those guys are fantastic. And as it continued, we're now, you know, four seasons into this show. And I didn't think it was going to make it anywhere near this long. And it has not ever been a ratings juggernaut. It is the single most consistent comedy on network television by far. Maybe with the exception of The Good Place, but that's kind of in, a new, in its own class. Good Place is, is my favorite. But Brooklyn, just as a pure comedy, is awesome. And even the way that they've built the Peralta and Santiago relationship with Melissa Fomero and Andy Samberg has been wonderful. And bringing on Jason Madzoukas and how that worked for a time with the Gina character. Pardon me, with the Rosa character. I got mixed up. Chelsea Peretti hasn't really been on the show this year at all. as she's had other things going on in her life. But, man... The show has been awesome. It's so funny. It's, it's great every single week. Like, this doesn't sound like some elaborate review by me or some deep analysis, because I don't need any deep analysis. If you trust me at all, I'm just telling you, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is super funny, and if you've got Hulu, you should be watching it. And if you've got access to a DVD player, you should buy those. Those seasons are probably dirt cheap right now around the holidays. That show's amazing. And I would argue maybe the best character on all of television, is Captain Raymond Holt, Andre Brower. That show proved to me, incontrovertibly, that Michael Schur is just Midas when it comes to great TV. Ron Swanson, Tom Haverford, Andy, April, Leslie Nope, all of the great characters of Parks and Rec. Now you go to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, And you've got Raymond Holt and you've got Boyle and you've got Scully and Hitchcock just in the background and you've got Gina when she's there and you've got Rosa and what she's done and Santiago and you just keep going down the list of these great cast and then now on The Good Place with Eleanor and Michael and Chidi and Tahani and Jason Mendoza He puts together these shows with these casts of people that a lot of folks don't know going in, but everyone knows going out. I don't know how long Brooklyn Nine-Nine is going to go, but I know you should be watching it right now because it's absolutely fantastic. Best comedy on TV, now that Good Place has taken its hiatus, for sure it is. And there are some other really good comedies on TV. We've talked about them on this podcast before, but I wanted to single out Brooklyn Nine-Nine for a few minutes just to tell you how smart that show is! How well executed it is! How variety centric it is in terms of its storylines. It's not just about Roberts and purse snatchers. You've got it runs the gamut. The guest cast is great. The parents of some of the cast members that we've met are fantastic people. You know, we got Katie Seagal on there, and you've got Bradley Whitford, West Wing. So you've got like Sons of Anarchy with Jimmy Smits is there as well. So you've got Jimmy Smiths. Of course, he's done a million things, but just the idea of Katie Seagal and Jimmy Smits being on the same show and bradley whitford and there's just so much going on on brooklyn just in this 21 minutes that you get every week it's just a joy i don't even think there's really an episode that i didn't like there were a few in the second season that were just kind of there but and they've also done a good job of building this longer story each season that makes you care putting a couple of the characters in real danger or putting their jobs in real danger and setting things off onto a different course. The same thing they did with Parks and Rec, with Leslie running for higher office, and whether or not you know Ben Wyatt was going to stick around, or things like that. I would just tell you that if you like Parks and Recreation, and you have not watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I have no idea what you're doing with your life. Brooklyn is an absolute joy. I immediately go to it as soon as it's available, on Hulu, because I'm usually not watching live the night before with my schedule. And I get so much entertainment out of it. There has not been an episode where I have not laughed out loud at Holt. So good. Terry Crews is phenomenal, by the way. Terry Crews just seems to be a really good dude. And he's actually, you know, we were talking about the sexual harassment stuff. He actually reported as a victim. Terry Crews. Stories are ugly. Terry Crews that takes guts to be Terry Crews and to reveal, you know, the way he was uncomfortably put into you know spots where he knew things were not right. I have a lot of respect for Terry Crews for that, quite frankly. A lot of guys, in particular, would have thought long and hard about doing that, but Terry Crews felt like it was the right thing to do. But Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the right thing to do as a television viewer, absolutely fantastic stuff right now on television on fox is brooklyn 99 just miraculously funny stuff well done smart if michael scherz name's attached to it you should just be watching it it's really that simple let's see what else mindbender got re- renewed for a second season no surprise there one of netflix's uh, biggest hits of the year we did an entire hour plus last month on that show go back into the archives if you just are new to the podcast or whatever you can go back I did a long podcast talking about nothing but that show from every angle so we're going to get more Mindbender which is a good piece of news The Crown Season 2 hits next week Crown is a fantastic show and I'm going to say that even though I have not seen a second of it there was a time folks you know some people appreciate me being honest and you know sometimes it might harm me but I've said in the past how great the crown is as a critic you can't see everything but you'll see other critics that you like other people that you've either been in contact with or that have inspired you in some way that will say something positive and that will enable you to say the same thing feeling like okay well we're usually simpatico and this show's good so I want to be on the right side of this issue I find it impossible to do that now. If I haven't seen it, I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna lie about it. I'm not gonna tell you things that aren't true. I'm planning to watch the first season of the crown this week. I'm planning to watch Godless this week. You might ask why I haven't talked about that. Just honestly haven't. Netflix, here's something interesting for you. I have a media center account with Netflix where they provide me screeners when I You have to request by the show. Some networks, you have access to everything. Like Once I got in with FX, everything FX does, I have. HBO, I have to request by the show with different publicists and different publicity officers and things like that. NBC, once I was on with them, for the most part, I get everything that they offer. Hulu, same way. Netflix, you have to do the HBO route. But Netflix has changed over the last three, three, four months to where they pick and choose based on the size of your outlet and whether or not they deem you to be worthy of these screeners. So if you remember, I reviewed Narcos in advance and The Defenders in advance and Glow in advance and BoJack Horseman in advance, but I didn't write on Mindbender and I did not write on a few others that you probably were a little surprised not to have my opinion on. That is because they never got back with me. I would send them multiple messages. One actually said, hey, we're not actually sending screeners for this one, but we, uh, we really appreciate you covering it anyway. Then you found out they actually did send screeners out, but only to a very, very select few critics. So here's the thing. If that's what they're going to do, that makes it really hard for me to have reviews up in a timely fashion. So when I couldn't get Godless, I put it on the back burner. I still want to watch it, but I don't have the time then. If you give it to me in advance, I can watch it at night. I can you know, plow through it at my time and prepare and all of those things. And that's not what's happened. So it made it hard. Mindbender was, Mindbender was the same way. So that's why I didn't end up doing that. But I'm going to watch Godless. And I'm hoping... The Punisher is another example, by the way. Why in the world would I not review The Punisher? They didn't give it to me. I asked for it, and they just wouldn't give it to me. And that's fine. You know, that is completely up to them. It just makes it harder for me to cover it. And if it comes down to what I'm going to write about, it means that I might not write about that. And that's fine. Like I said, that's... It's okay. I'm not angry about it. I was angry about it at first. And then I just realized, hey, you know, that's their prerogative. They can do what they want. I don't write for you know, some giant Hollywood publication. I think it's a mistake on their part. But, you know, to each his own. But that's why you haven't seen as many Netflix reviews from me. But I haven't seen The Crown. But I'm going to watch The Crown. And then I'll talk about The Crown. But there would have been a time when I would have done this podcast and told you how great The Crown was and uh, maybe found a couple of details and talked about that. Those days are gone. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to tell you things that aren't true. Or I'm going to do my best not to. I'm not going to purport to have seen things I haven't seen. Runaways on Hulu, I've seen the first two episodes of. Even though I do think I had uh, options to see that, just it was in a bad time, so I didn't have a chance in advance. And I like it. I don't know that I love it yet, but I like it. I think it's worth your time. Um, The Inhumans, which I just didn't even bother with on ABC, is an unmitigated disaster from every account that I have seen. So I would avoid that. But The Runaways is an interesting story. It's maybe a little bit more superhero-ish than you want it to be when you see some of the background things going on. But there's a lot to like about it, plus Josh Schwartz is associated with it, creator of The O.C., was part of Chuck, Gossip Girl. He understands how to do these kind of teenage shows, and Runaways, even though they're decent performers in the adult realm, it's really about the kids, and they do a pretty good job from what I can tell. I don't know that it's like a world-beater show, but it's worth your time if you've got Hulu, and I'm going to continue to watch, and as it stands out i'll talk to you more about it maybe as i've watched more of it i will go into more detail but it's a well-done show especially if you like stuff that has a little bit of the marvel tinge to it it's well done it's off the beaten path it's built off of brian k vaughn's comic brian k vaughn that also did why the last man which is something everyone loves that i will tell you right now i have not read and probably should brian k vaughn's done a lot of interesting kind of different stuff in the comic realm but he created runaways. And it's pretty good. Like I said, you should watch it. What else do I have here? This is us took its winter hiatus. I actually, look, I got it in advance and I didn't write on it because I was so focused on getting back up to date with Mr. Robot because I got behind because I was hosting a show last week and honestly just because I've been lazy and had other things happening. Uh, I you know I've had that I had that number three Randall episode for a week in advance, probably, and didn't watch it. Still haven't seen it yet. So I'm not going to comment on it. But I will talk about it next week, and I will write about it next week as well. So my apologies for that. And then on the way out, let's talk a little bit about music. There's going to be a lot of top ten lists. This was great, and this was not. So let me give you mine before I get out of here. Top five this year in music for me. And you're always limited by what you've heard. Same thing as what you've seen. Your top five movies, and I should say Lady Bird, which is getting all sorts of publicity for being... 100% hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes with the most reviews that have ever still held something at a hundred percent. Lady Bird was awesome. I screened that in a like a just a media closed screening. I think it was three weeks ago, and it was it's phenomenal. Sorry, Ronan is just outstanding. Lori Metcalf gets less respect than she deserves for being just otherworldly good and most things she's done she was phenomenal in Roseanne as Aunt Jackie she was very good in The Big Bang Theory as Sheldon's mother and here she is in Lady Bird playing Ronan's mother and it's just it's awesome the movie is really well done it's basically a biopic of Greta Gerwig's life but it's just one of those movies where it's like life is happening nothing in that movie doesn't make sense even the growth of the main character from start to finish is good. I don't want to talk much about it right now, but I think I will as we get closer to Oscar season because it's definitely going to be in the discussion. I would say if it's in your market, go watch it for sure. Definitely one of the three, maybe top three films I've seen this year for sure. I'd have to I'd have to really stop and think, but it's there with Dunkirk and I need to see The Florida Project and a couple of other things before I can really slot it. But Lady Bird is absolutely... A just great story. Well done. Easy to watch. And it has a good message to boot. So go see Lady Bird. Anyway, music, real quickly. Remember I told you that Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile had the album of the year, in my opinion, with a lot of sea lice. And it's still right there. But I finally did have time to sit down and listen to A Deeper Understanding by The War on Drugs. And I got to tell you, Lost in a Dream was the record of the year a couple of years ago. This is better. <laughs> I don't know that a lot of people would agree with me, but I can't stop listening to this album. I sat there with the lyrics, trying to learn every word. I know the order of it. I know exact. I know everything about this album. I have not been able to stop listening to it since I started. It is fantastic. That's the best album of the year. Courtney Barnett, Kurt Vile right behind. Jason Isbell and the 400 unit we talked about on this show before. Margot Price, All-American Made. The National Sleep Well Beast is just tremendous. They're probably my favorite band. That may scar me a little bit of being able to be objective towards them, but they're at least tied with Radiohead at this point, which is just an unbelievable statement for me to ever have made. Then you've got some other pretty good records out there. I'm just going to name some stuff that maybe you haven't heard that, look, if you're sitting there with Spotify or Apple Music and you haven't heard some new music, you should. Liam Gallagher, Half of Oasis, As You Were. That's an awesome solo record. Noel just put out his new one. I haven't heard it yet. I love his first two, actually, but Liam's record was better than both. Liam's record's really good, especially if you're an Oasis fan. A lot to like there, even though the lyrics are kind of juvenile. Manchester Orchestra, A Black Mile to the Surface. That is an excellent album from a band that I think is very overlooked and has been for a long time. They have evolved a lot. That's a different sounding record than what you're used to from them but worth your time. LCD Sound System, American Dream. If you know what LCD Sound System usually does, this feels like vintage LCD Sound System, but it's an awesome album. Royal Blood. I don't think a lot of people would say this, but pure rock. I mean, just like harder rock that's not trying to be artistic. Royal Blood is just pulse-pounding energy. It's like great workout music. Uh, How Did We Get So Dark, the name of that album. Their second record. Both of them are good. You can put those things on in your earbuds, sitting in your gym, and just be ready to run through walls. Japan Droids this year put out Near to the Wild Heart of Life. That was very early in the year. That's a very, very good record if you're a rock fan. Heim put out their second record this summer, Something to Tell You. Big fan of Heim. I like the vintage sound. I like something that sounds like it was straight from the 80s. I could have been on a skating rink listening to it, despite the fact that it's a lot about relationship breakups and... You know, heartbreak in that way. And that's something I've certainly experienced a good bit in 2017. That's a very good album, I think. Solid. And then there's Father John Misty's Pure Comedy, which I think is going to win a whole lot of awards from critics when they put out their lists. It is very different. And maybe not if you're a Fleet Foxes fan, but it's very different from much of what you've heard this year. You need to listen to it from start to finish and you need to listen to it on some kind of a pretty good stereo and not be doing anything else distracting, at least the first couple of times you hear it, because it's more of an experience than anything else. And then the only one that I didn't mention in that top five and should have is Spoon, which I've talked about several times on this show. Hot Thoughts is a tremendous album. Spoon's one of my favorite bands. They haven't made a a bad album this decade, for sure. Their last three are all just stupendous. But Hot Thoughts is... It's just an awesome album and you should check that out as well. So War on Drugs, Courtney Barnett, Kurt Vile, Jason Isbell, Spoon, The National, Margot Price. And then I didn't mention Gang of Use. Gang of Use, if you like the national, Gang of Use. This is Stephen Haydn of Uprocks that actually I saw him tweet about them. And I had never heard about them before. They're out of Australia. You can't even find the CDs in stores. Not even in record stores. Like the import, if you go to if you just go try to buy the C D from Amazon is I think twenty seven ninety nine. This is truly a an international band that has not gotten here yet. But it is on Apple Music, and I think it might be on Spotify as well. They have two albums. And this is Go Farther in Lightness is the new album. Gang of Use is, at times, it sounds a little bit like Bruce. At times, it sounds a little bit like The Hold Steady. At times, it sounds like its own animal. There's some orchestral stuff that separates it from other things. But really, who it sounds like is The National but louder and more, there's more angst in it. Uprox, uh Haydn called it the National on steroids. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good descriptor, honestly, of what I've heard of it so far. And I've just kind of discovered it here in this last few weeks. It's really, really good stuff. If you like the National, that is a good place to go. If you've worn out Sleep Well Beast, which I have to some extent and continue to, that's a good place to go. It really is. So there's a lot of music for you. Usually I don't talk that much about music, but we're getting towards the end of the year, so we're going to start laying out some lists. and Television list podcast is going to be, I'm already dreading it because I'm going to be in the middle of it and I'll be like, you know, I forgot this show and I'm just going to have to stop in the middle and do this and I'm just not going to stop recording. I don't do that. I don't stop the recorder. I just keep it going. You'll hear all of my own deliberations and imperfections and blemishes and all of that through it as I try to work my way through it maybe I'll find a guest as well I've said I would do that before and haven't actually done it but it's not something that is out of the realm of possibility it's just I haven't actually done what I should do to just get somebody on the show so a lot of Mr. Robot best show on tv right now in the drama side absolutely you should be watching it Brooklyn Nine-Nine best comedy on the dial especially now that The Good Place has taken its hiatus you should be watching it Mindbender's back Matt Lauer is out the latest in what's going to be a much longer line of powerful people whose chickens are coming home to roost. And you should feel sorry for them and also sorry for the victims, I believe. And then a whole lot of music as well. So we kind of hit a lot and we've talked for about an hour and somehow my voice is still around. I thank the Bigelow Lemon Tea in my Contigo Thermos. Or, well, not thermos, but just whatever you call it. This thing was 17 bucks on Amazon. I actually researched what would be the best one to get. Because usually I bring some kind of juice to work. Now I'm bringing like some kind of juice still, but I'm also bringing this. Because this thing keeps it hot for seven, eight hours. Like to the point where I went to grab some tea right before I started this. And I made this before I left for the, left for the show. So it was about four hours ago. And things still, to the extent where some people would say it's burning their mouths that's outrageous but it's also awesome and that thing is like i've got it in stainless steel and i've got the 20 ounce model i think it was 20 bucks you want to talk about a gift for a coffee drinker get them a contigo and if you need like the specifics you can uh ask me on twitter and i'll tell you exactly which one i got it's the highest rated one like if you actually look up rankings it's number one because there's a lot of more expensive ones but this one does everything those do and it has a locking mechanism where basically you have to hit a button to actually release it to where you can drink out of it it's not hard to do but this thing's not going to leak or spill 20 bucks a lot of a lot of you looking for gift ideas out there might i suggest a contigo for whoever it is out there that's a big coffee or tea drinker and it also keeps things cold as well for many many hours in like a yeti-ish kind of fashion maybe not quite as long as a yeti but Somewhere in that same fashion. So that's an idea for you. Hey, Contigo, if you're listening, if somebody from Contigo is listening. Hey, sponsor this podcast. Anybody else out there has something they want me to hawk? Give me, give me some of it so that I can see what it's all about, or you know, let me try it out. And if I believe in it, we'll start to advertise it on this show. That's the next step of Outkick to Culture. Next step for me is out the door. My voice is hanging on by a thread, folks. Enjoy your weekend. If you are watching Mister Robot and you've got like five episodes on the DVR. What the heck is wrong with you? Get that taken care of. Same thing with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and that's it. We'll see you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com.